0: Hello Divine Souls, Jamila Burney here with Becoming the Big Me. I'm so excited for this special segment of the Becoming the Big Me podcast. This section of the podcast is dedicated towards sharing the stories of conquest for some incredible individuals. They are also featured in my latest book, Becoming the Big Me the great conquest. In this section of the podcast, we will dive deep into each of their stories and their journeys and their hardships from addiction, PTSD, loss of loved ones and children, This segment of the podcast is dedicated towards sharing their stories and and sharing their journeys not only of the hardships, but sharing how they overcame. To learn more about the authors behind the stories that you are going to hear, go to thegreatconquest.com. And if you would like to purchase a copy of The Great Conquest book, you can go to bit.com dot lee slash great conquest and without further ado let's dive into the amazing journeys Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Becoming the Big Me podcast. You guys, we have another amazing guest here today for the Great Conquest section, Nick Wingo. He has spent the early part of his life as a firefighter paramedic, where he has seen things that most people could never understand. He's the best-selling author of the book, Building Grit, Um, how to fight the fires of PTSD and come out stronger on the other side. Nick has a passion for people, and he loves to build relationships with the people around him. His family, his wife, and his children are his pride and joy. Nick is a man that wants to see those around him win. And for that reason, he's so passionate about sharing his battles with PTSD so that others can can benefit from what he's gone through and from the struggles that he's had and leave a positive ripple effect to others um, in the community. So thank you, Nick, for coming on. I'm so excited to have this conversation.
1: Thank you so much for the amazing introduction. Uh, You know, it's (laughs) it's always mind blowing to get introduced by people, uh, especially stepping on a podcast, because it's just it's interesting to see what people think of you and how they perceive you. Uh, so I really appreciate it. And I'm really excited to be here.
0: I love it. I love, I've been I've been working on my, you know, announcer introduction voice. <laughs> You're
1: doing a good job. You're doing a really good job. I like it. I like it. You're doing a really good job.
0: <laughs> awesome. So I, let's just dive right into it, man. I know you have so much to share with us. And I just want, can we just kind of d- go back and just give a, a little bit of your backstory so our audience can kind of, get the the synopsis of who is Nick Wingo.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, I could spend hours talking about where I came from to where I am right now. But I'll just kind of get uh, down to just like a quick version of how I ended up with this big ass beard, um, because I did not start with it. And I have not had a beard for a long time. So when I was 18 years old, I had gotten out of high school, I didn't really know what I was going to do with my life. I was I was hoping for a football scholarship and it didn't happen and I was going to join the military, but I was, I couldn't because of my medical history. And so I was in this position of like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. And so my mom was like, Hey, maybe you should try to be a firefighter. And I was like, Oh, that's a pretty good idea. I'll give that a shot. And so I went to, I went to school and I got my fire one certificate and I got my EMT and uh, I got hired as a resident firefighter up in a mountain town. And it was this awesome thing. Cause I was like, Oh man firefighter that's a pretty dope job like that's pretty cool the men will want to be me and the women will be, want to be with me and you know you get four days and paydays and it's this great thing it's this great job it's this honorable job and it is it's an honorable job it's a honor to be able to serve people it's a it's a big deal it's a hard job to get there's people fight for those jobs like you know you go to apply for a job and there might be 10 jobs or five jobs and there's two or three or 5,000 people applying for those jobs and so there it's a difficult thing to get into but I'm good at what I do and so I was able to get in I was able to get a spot and I remember going in and being so excited so excited about this new this new job and this this way that my life was going to be in this amazing life I was going to have and because I hadn't gotten to college really I you know I had done some some small college but I Really wasn't wanting to go get a degree. I knew I didn't want that with my life. It's not what I wanted. I didn't want to spend four years in school, so kind of miserable. I hated schooling, <laughs> like it was not my jam. So I got hired on as this resident firefighter. And I remember being on the job for about, about a month and a half. And we responded to a call where a child had died. And I remember walking out of that call and just being a little disturbed like, man, I didn't really realize what I was getting myself into. I had no idea this was part of the job. I had no clue. And when we were driving back from the call, the officer in the front seat, he speaks up, you know, we all wear headsets and talk to each other and the engine, engine talk is can be interesting for sure. Um, but the, the officer at the time, he goes, ah, that sucked. And I was like, yeah, that sucked bad. And he goes, well, kid, you better get used to it because it's part of the job and you better just bury it down and don't really bring it up. You don't really want to talk about that shit. It's just not a good idea. And I remember taking a deep breath and going, "Man, like we don't talk about it." Like, you know, here I am, eighteen years old at the time. You know, your frontal brain is not completely developed. It's not developed till you're twenty six, so you don't understand how to uh, how to work through and process trauma like that. And with some childhood stuff that I had, some childhood issues. That just makes it worse because then again, that childhood trauma that I had and what people have childhood trauma makes it even worse in your ability to process trauma. Well, fast forward 17 years and 17 years later, I am 10 friends lost to the fire service, five to suicide, uh, three to cancer, one to a freak accident, uh, one guy that fell off a roof when, we were, that when they were working a job. You know, you you fast forward, I'm, I'm a medic now and I've ran thousands of emergency calls. I've seen thousands of deaths. I've seen hundreds of dead kids. I've seen teenage suicides. You know, at that point, I, there was a few times where people tried to stab me, like people try to fight me, um, you know, drunk people, all this crap that you have no idea that you're going to handle or have to deal with as a firefighter. And it started adding up. Like it it was adding up. And so at that 17-year mark, I was at the point where I had nothing left. I could not do it anymore. Five years prior to that, I was starting to have sleeping issues. So I was sleeping two hours a night. And I thought like, oh, it's just part of the job. It's part of it because I worked 48.96 at the time. So two days on, four days off. And you're running at the station I was at, you're running on average three night, three night calls. So three times at night, you're getting up on average. Sometimes you're up all night. And when you're at the station, you can never sleep with the anticipation of, oh, the red light's going to pop on and I'm going to have to get my shorts up and get out the door in two minutes. And so you have all these things that are stacking up against you. All the while, you have all this emotion that you've been trained to shove down, shove it down, shove it down, don't talk about it. What did that lead to for me? It led to nightmares. It led to flashbacks. It led to outbursts and anger. I was pissed off at people all the time. I had no idea why. I couldn't get on the road without losing my cool with people, flipping people off, yelling, getting mad. What are you doing? Uh, Getting mad at my kids undoingly. Getting mad at my wife. And I had no idea why. I just was mad. And so I, I spoke to, and I was too prideful to say anything or do anything about it. Like I went to counseling a couple of times, but counselors don't get, they don't get it. There's not enough out there that truly understand what we go through as first responders. They just don't get it. They they can't fathom it. It's just, there's not a lot out there. There are some, there are some that are really good and completely understand, but there's not a lot. And to that point, I had encountered people who just didn't understand me and they couldn't get it. They didn't get what I was going through and they couldn't help me because they didn't, they didn't understand how to, how to help me through something that they didn't understand. Right. And so I looked at my partner one day and I go, man, I'm having nightmares, man. He was like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, dude, I haven't been sleeping for, I don't know, a while. It's getting bad. And uh, he went and told my officer and my officer came and said, you gotta, you gotta get off. You gotta get off the medic unit. I was like, okay. All right. And, uh, I was like, this is why I didn't say anything. I was mad. I was mad that they were going to rip me in my job because I said, Hey, I'm having a mental problem, right? I'm having nightmares. I can't sleep well. So I was pissed off. And I was like, you know what? All right, fine. I'll get off. I'll go talk to somebody like you guys want to give me time off and whatever. That's what we'll do. We'll do that. That's cool. That's awesome. That's, you know, that is what it is. So I went offline and I waited for treatment it was delayed treatment. And I had all this mess of crap that happened. It was, I, you know, I can't really get into it right now because I'm still dealing with a lot of that portion of it. Um, but it was bad. And then to top it off, my dad died eight weeks after I got pulled offline. And so here you are, I, I just got pulled offline and then my dad dies. And um, when my dad died, that was when, I realized how messed up I was. I was like, man, my brain is not functioning correctly. So I started crying every day, every day from my dad died. And in fact, I cried every day from when my dad died on October 31st of 2020 until I got about three days into treatment uh, where I went to treatment. And that was about February 10th. So it went months of not knowing how to handle my emotions. And while I was going through all this, my emotions were getting worse because I was talking about all this stuff that I had shoved down for years and not talked about and not worked through. So when you start to bring that stuff up, it will wreck you. It will turn your world upside down because when you haven't talked about it and now you're going to talk about like all of it, it is not good. It is not fun. Nightmares got worse. The anger got worse. And then the suicidal ideations came on. So then I'm dealing with suicidal ideations in December of uh, 2020. And I'm just, I'm losing, literally was losing my mind. I literally was losing my mind uh, a day at a time. So I finally threw in the towel and I said, you know what? I can't do this on my own. I'm not getting enough treatment. And so I decided that I was gonna go get uh, treatment in Maryland at the Center of Excellence. A center that's designed specifically for firefighters is the only duly certified um, treatment facility in the united states of america that's specifically for firefighters they deal with both post-traumatic stress and substance abuse which substance abuse guess what it comes from post-traumatic stress i saw it so many times i have friends who lost their job throughout my career uh, on duis or whatnot and i am convinced now that that was their post-traumatic stress that was manifesting in their addictions so I, I went to treatment and when I was in treatment, I, I really was all in. Like I was like, okay, you know, this treatment is about a hundred thousand dollars for me to go to that treatment. And I was paying my deductible for it. So I was like, I'm, I'm all in. I, I paid for my own treatment. I paid for my own treatment because I got denied to get that treatment. And I said, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to kill myself. If I don't do it, I have to go. So I went and, uh, it was what I needed. It was good. It was hard though. You know, I had just I left my family, my wife with my two kids and my widowed mother. My dad had just died. I left them at the house by themselves for 35 days while I was in treatment. But I had to because if I didn't, uh, I wasn't going to be here either. And when I got out, I I had all these revelations. I had all these things that I realized and learned about myself, and I recognized like I cannot go back to the fire department because if I do. I'm going to end up in the same hole and I'm going to end up dead because I, my trauma bucket is full. I have so much stuff I need to work through and get through that is going to take me years and years and years and years of work to get to the point where, you know, and it's, it's just, it's going to be, you know, I'm recognized it will be forever. Like I am going to have stuff I'm going to have to work through and deal with for the rest of my life, but that's okay it's all right. It's just, it it is what it is, right? Like you say, it is what it is. And I recognize that I drew a line in in the sand and I did something that was hard. I gave up my career at 37 years old. And the only thing that I ever knew, the only thing that I knew who I was, I I identified myself as a firefighter so much so that my whole left arm is sleeved with tattoos depicting my firefighter life. Like it was, it's a piece of me. It's a huge piece of who I am. And so to separate from that and to leave that, um, especially something that was so hard to work for and was so hard to get and was such an honor to have, to separate yourself from that was devastating. Hardest decision I've made in my life, but I recognized that my life was more important than that job. And I realized that my, my purpose is to help people so they don't end up in the spot that I was in. While we were there, there was a guy I went with. And when we got back, I got a phone call. He had killed himself seven days after we had gotten back from treatment. And I was like, I cannot sit back and not say something about this. Because here's the problem. 100 firefighters a year die of what's considered a line of duty death. So they go on a call, they have a heart attack, they have an accident, there's a hundred, So when that happens, there's thousands and thousands of hours that goes into investigations, training hours. Why did this happen? How did it happen? The NIOSH reports on it, they are generally, they're about 120 pages of detailed, like, why did this happen? Here's a, a sad and a sickening thing about that. Three to five hundred firefighters are estimated to be killing themselves every year. Last year alone, there was 185 documented cases. So, answer me this question: it, Excuse my French, but why in the fuck are we spending thousands of hours on 100 firefighters and little to no hours on the three to 500? It's bullshit. It needs to change, and somebody needs to start talking about it, and somebody needs to stand up. And that's why I wrote the book because I recognized that if not me. Then who, because it needs to happen. Here's the other problem. In the United States of America, there are very, very, very little of the states that recognize post-traumatic stress as a workman's comp related issue for workman's comp. Why? I don't understand. It's wrong. We recognize that veterans get post-traumatic stress. We recognize they go to war, they come back, they have post-traumatic stress. I am telling you right now, the stuff I have seen It is bad. The amount of death I have seen, it is bad. Losing friends, it is bad. It is difficult and it is not easy to maneuver through. And I learned I'm not the only one going through this stuff. I'm not the only one. I'm just the one that was willing to stand up and speak my mind. There's a lot of people that are not willing to speak their mind. And you want to know why? Because you lose your job. Because here I am, I'm speaking my mind. I'm speaking who I am. And guess what? I'm no longer a firefighter. So my fear was that if I said something that I would not be a firefighter anymore, and here we are, there's a problem there. There's an issue. Why is it that we can't maneuver through? We can work. We can look at physical fitness and all the things yearly for firefighters, but we don't look at our minds. There's no yearly evaluations for mental health there's nothing there. And then the help that you are supposed to be able to have access to is bullshit. And it does not help you. That's just the facts. And it's a hard fact. And it's a hard truth to accept, but I am not willing all 230 pound tattooed, bald head bearded man of me is not willing to shut my mouth. And if anybody wants to get my way, I will run them over because I am serious. I am on a mission. To make sure, number one, that every state in the United States of America recognizes post traumatic stress for first responders as a workman's comp related issue. And number two, that no first responder should ever have to pay for their mental health out of their pocket. It's wrong. And people need to know about it and people need to understand what is really going on. Because guess what? These are the people that are coming into your world when you need them the most. When you call 911, you have had the worst day of your life. It is the worst day you have had. And you are in a dire situation where you have no other choice but to call for help. And we're the ones that show up on a consistent basis. That's just the truth. So where is our help? When are we going to start helping the people that help other people? I don't understand. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing.
0: Man, that is just so incredible. And, and you're right. I haven't, I've never heard anyone else talking about this. And, and like- this book, this book right here, like it shows how passionate you are about being a firefighter and how passionate you are about spreading that message. Because you went for 17 years, you said, yeah. without without speaking of, of the struggle that you were going through. And yes. How many of your colleagues are doing the same? All of them, pretty much, right?
1: Uh, well, seven out of 10 firefighters walk around with undiagnosed post-traumatic stress. Mm. So, and it, it, it widely relates to, uh, number one, one of the big things is, is what age did you come into the fire service? Because we know that frontal lobe development happens around the age of 26. So if you come into another job you and childhood trauma, so childhood trauma and age when you come into the fire service. So if you come in at a young age, before the age of 26, you don't have frontal lobe development, you're much more likely to end up with post-traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. And if you have childhood trauma, you're much more likely to end up with post-traumatic stress. So not everyone will end up with post-traumatic stress and they will be able to maneuver through it. I'm taking speaking on the vast majority. Seven out of 10 is disturbing. That is a problem. If we say 70%, if we look, go into a room, a room <laughs> of 10 people... And we take out three that don't have it. Another seven do like, and you want these people to be running emergency calls and nobody's helping them like, man, no wonder people lose their minds and kill themselves. I know because I went through it.
0: Yeah. And no one, no one is helping them because they can't even ask for help. If, if here, it, you, know, like, like, you can't
1: <laughs> and and here's the other problem people don't understand like I mean I'm sure that you're an amazing person and I'm sure that you I, I can tell that you're passionate and that you are you're bubbly and you're happy and you have joy and peace inside of you and you're you're giving a great message out like I can feel that energy from you but here's the problem is that how are you going to help me through my stuff if you don't understand what I'm going through Right, so you can be the best counselor in the room, you can be the best counselor in the world and have the best intent and be a great person, but if you don't understand post-traumatic stress when it relates to firefighters or first responders, like, get out of here. What do you, what, you are not equipped to talk to me, I can't tell you how many counselors, I, 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 I could see it in their eyes. I'm telling them stuff and I can see that I'm causing them trauma as I'm telling them about my trauma. Right. And then you're going to tell me how to process it and deal with it. Like, no, no, you're not. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard it from other people. I am in, I've been around, like, I'm a crazy guy. I've been through a lot of crazy houses and a lot of, like, I've been through a lot of counseling and stuff. I mean, chokingly, you know, but what I'm saying is I've been a lot th- around a lot of people who are going through this. It's all the same story. It is all the same story. It's the same story over and over and over and over again. Oh, I had a counselor. One guy, he told me that his counselor told him to go sit in his closet and read Tink and say Tinkerbell and read Disney books when he was having, uh, having post-traumatic stress episodes. And I'm like,
0: <laughs>
1: what? Are you kidding me? Like That's your advice? Have you lost your damn mind? Like, come on, you know? I mean, so the stories I've had, it's just mind boggling. It is mind boggling the stories I've heard from people.
0: You would be shocked. I want to hear, I want to hear from you. What are some of the things that um, have helped you and are helping you when you find yourselves in, in triggering moments? Because I, I, I know that my, my partner struggles with post-traumatic stress as well. And sometimes I don't know how to help. So from your perspective, how does that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so for me, the, the big things are routines. Um, so you know, one of my values, so my values is uh, gratitude, resilience, intuition, and tenacity. I get a little bit more deep in that, but my first one, have gratitude every day. So when I wake up, the first thing I do is I look at my wife. I'm grateful for her or my, remind myself how grateful I am for the house that I'm in, for the bed that I have, for my kids, uh, and then I get right into, the, right into the Bible. So I go right in and I read uh, one chapter from the Bible to my wife. It just reminds me who I am as an individual and where I've rooted myself. Uh, Then I get out of bed and I go and I um, either go to my walk, outdoor walk, or I sit in the sauna. Um, Those two will happen every morning. It doesn't matter which way, but they do need to happen. From there, there will be a cold shower. I only shower in cold water, period. I do not take hot showers, period. Uh, When I step into the shower, it is cold. Why? Because it grounds me. And when you get in a cold-ass shower, guess what you're thinking about? That cold-ass shower. You're not thinking about anything else. Like, it completely takes you away from anything else. You're just thinking about how cold you are, right? Um, so I'm learning to do grounding techniques like that in the morning. So the morning routine is crucial. It's super important. You listen to anybody who's successful. They have morning routines. It's no different. You're post-traumatic stress, you have got to have morning routines, because routines, the monotony of it, the, the way that you just do things over and over the same way, it keeps you from falling into the trap of getting into a trigger or something like that. Number two, uh, what do I do with my day? I keep myself busy. <laughs> like I have to be doing things. I cannot, th- I went through a phase <laughs> where I was laying in bed nonstop. That is a dangerous place to be. Um, so what does that look like? That means like I fill my day with workouts. I own a, a teardrop rental business. I do mobile IVs, I'm pushing my book, I'm doing podcasts, I'm doing my own podcast. So I'm constantly pushing myself outside my comfort zone to do things that make me a little uncomfortable, um, because it just reminds me who I am as an individual and helps me to keep pushing forward. Um, The other thing, workouts, workouts are so important. Like There is study after study after study after study after study that shows when you work out. You release all the endorphins and you get rid of the anger and you just, you're in such a better state when you're working out on a regular basis. It's just the facts. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. Suck it up and get your ass in the gym. It's just the way it is. Um, then the other thing is like one of the other ones is meditation and yoga. Those are two huge pieces. I know it sounds hippie and you're like 230 pound dude, bald tattooed dude with beard, Doing yoga and meditation, like yeah, I'm all in. I'm all about. I am all hippie, all up in it. Like doing yoga. <laughs> me
0: too. I mean, me too, but obviously.
1: <laughs> I, well, yeah, but I mean,
0: I, I'm not the <laughs> typical
1: type to be doing that type of stuff. Like, somebody's not gonna look at me and be like, "Yeah, that guy meditates." Yeah. Yoga. Not a chance. Not Thinking a chance.
0: Yoga is so hard. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's those are super important. There, I've learned how important they are and how much they help me. Like I, the, the meditation, like doing the, sh- uh, doing like uh, chakra clearings for me has been huge because I, part of that is learning like how to feel your emotions, like how to actually feel where you're feeling your emotion. And I know that like, that's one of the things where I was you know, in my whole life. Like, I don't want to feel my emotions. <laughs> emotions are bullshit. Like I am out on that. But once I've learned to like, Oh, okay. Like I'm getting mad and I can feel it in my head. My head starting to throb. And I have this little vein that like starts to pop out or, you know, feeling I'm sad. and I can feel it in my chest. Like I understand like, oh, my chest is getting heavy. And, oh man. So now I'm starting to recognize when I start to feel those things in my body where I'm feeling that I know like, oh, okay, here comes this emotion. Mm-hmm. And I know how to process it better, right? Like I know, I understand it better. I understand what it is, how I'm going to feel and how I'm going to work through it.
0: Mm-hmm. The other thing I- is- I Go love ahead. that. I love that you bring that up because I think that that's something that everyone needs to spend some conscious time feeling how their emotions feel feel in our body because there's there's this there's this highway between our body's actions and our emotions and when we can understand how our our emotions affect our body we can change our body and it'll have the actual effect to change our emotions as well so i love that you brought that up because that is something that i that i nerd out on
1: (laughs) yeah it's and it's it's crazy it's wild Um, In fact, I want to bring up something now that you kind of triggered me to uh, to think about. It was when I was when I first went to treatment, I was just starting to get treatment. The doctor looked at me and she said, hey, um, do you get sick every time you go on vacation? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, is it like, you know, like one one day or two days into your vacation, you get some type of illness uh, when you when you stop? Yeah. How do you know that? She goes, well, that's your post-traumatic stress manifesting itself. She goes, what's happened is that you have so much inflammation in your body. You're so tense and you're so stressed out that when you stop and stop moving, all that inflammation releases and it causes you to get illness. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what? I was like, mind blown because (laughs) I was like, how does this lady know that I get sick every time I go on vacation? So if you're listening to this and every time you go on vacation, you get sick, you probably got something going on, that you might want to think about like, you might want to look into that. You might want to, you know, stop being like, oh, I just get sick. It's just, it's just a thing. Well, there's something behind it. There's some reason why it's happening. Like our bodies are amazing. Our bodies are amazing temples and they can heal themselves and they can do all these things. It is wild. If you really lean in and start to figure out like how and what you have going on and where your issues are, it's, it's crazy. It's super crazy.
0: I mean, it, it really is. So I'm I really want to know when you were actually still working as a firefighter and and having to to face these things day after day, how did like how did you keep going? Like how did you keep showing up?
1: You know, it's just you just like there's no other choice, right? Yeah. When you when you're when you're there, it's like I that's my job of how I provide for my family, right? Yeah. So you go there and it's like, hey, this is how I provide for my family. And it just becomes such a normal thing for you that um, like the old normal is just not normal. In fact, it gets to the point where you are more comfortable in stressful situations than you are at home. So I went from where I could not function at home with my kids or anything like that. But when I get to work, it was like normal for me. It was like no problem, you know. I it's just clockwork. I can do it now. Was I sad? There was stuff that for sure made me sad, but I trained myself really good how to cover that shit up. I didn't want anybody to know, like because if you show it, you're weak and you can't do the job, right? And that's kind of what you're. That's kind of what you're taught. And it's you know it's getting better and whatever, but it's still like. There are people that will argue with you and tell you like, oh, the fire service is getting better. It's, I'm gonna tell you bullshit. Like, no, it's not. It, there's some stuff that there's more access to stuff. Stuff's getting talked about more and more and more. But we still are, have those three to 500 that are committing suicide. I just got, did a podcast with a guy who's an Orlando firefighter. They have had six recently committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Like this is something that is happening. I, I would argue probably worldwide. It's probably happening worldwide anywhere there's a fire department anytime any place that they are responding to emergency calls like that i, I guarantee you it's happening
0: and, I, and no i mean i've never like no one thinks about about any of that we look at firefighters like we look at firefighters like our the heroes are going around on the trucks that all the kids look up to but that's all that really comes to my mind that I've been programmed to think um, when I think firefighter. I don't actually think of what it is that, that y'all are doing every single day.
1: For sure. You <laughs> know what the first thing people think that we do is? They think we fight fires. You know how much, <laughs> fire, you know how much fire we fight? It's like, I mean, the, it's like I, the run, the f- actual fire runs in the average year of the department I was working at was like 50 a year 50 a year and I can tell you right now there are there's a million firefighters in the United States of America about 350,000 of them are uh actually full-time firefighters the other are volunteer firefighters but of those I can guarantee you there are a ton that have never even been inside a fire like Mm -hmm. just sit down and take that in for a second Firefighters, there's lots of them that have not fought fires. It is not what we do. Is it something that we do? Yes, but it is not the majority of what we do. What the majority of of what we do is respond to medical emergency calls where somebody has been injured. That is what we do. Seventy percent of the time, it's what we do. And then stupid stuff, you know, water, you know, water evacs, and you know, kittens in the tree. It happens. It's stupid kids cry you go up and get the damn cats they attach to you but you've never seen a dead cat it's cat skeleton in a tree right like they'll come (laughs) down eventually but you know that's that's just that's just the reality of what we do we we run medical calls that's what we do as firefighters for sure
0: wow yeah i mean that's just i i I can't even believe that i'm like having this realization but it's just that it's so not talked about is not anything that you see when you're getting taught about the careers just like you kind of naively went into the job thinking oh i'm just gonna i'm gonna be a hero and and not fully understanding what that actually meant what what that entailed
1: and that's why this is so important for me to stand up and say something like i have to i can't sit back anymore and and allow uh, for nobody to talk about this, because so many people, when I talk to them, they're like, I had no idea. And I'm like, yeah, I know. That's why it needs to be talked about. Somebody needs to talk about it because people are dying. Like it's a real problem.
0: What's our first steps?
1: Our first step is making sure, uh, like uh, but like I would say, my goal is to make sure that every state in the United States of America recognize post-traumatic stress as a workman's comp related issue. Number two, it's important that no firefighter or first responder in general, police officer, paramedic, anybody who's a first responder pays for their medical, their mental health treatment. There needs to be more access to it. There's got to be more access to it. And then once the, once the government recognizes that it's a, it's a problem and they say like, oh, hey, yeah, this is an issue, then we need to push it into the fire stations across America. It, there has got to be mandatory mental evaluations yearly. And guess what guys are going to be pissed off that I'm saying this. And I do not give a shit what they think about me or what they have to say, because I almost killed myself. And I'm telling you right now, if you're listening to this and you're a firefighter, you better man up or woman up or whatever you want to say, because there's brothers and sisters in here's the deal. You may not like it, but the reality is is you probably have stuff you need to talk about and you need to work through. And it's going to save your life because I can tell you for me, it almost took mine. And so you can sit there and say, I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm, I'm, but you know what? If you're not sleeping, that's not just part of the job. If you're sad, if you're mad, if you can't handle your stuff in your home front, if you're drinking uncontrollably, you have something wrong. You better lean into it and get it fixed now. Because number one, you're going to lose your job. You're going to hurt somebody. You're going to hurt yourself, or you're going to kill yourself. That's just the facts.
0: How do we begin to to make the government? Do this change? Like, how do we actually make legislative change? What are the steps there? Open your mouth, yeah. speak loud. Yeah, yeah I
1: mean, you, you do what I'm doing, speak loud and make sure that people hear me. You know, i I you know I I'm getting my book as many hands as I can, government officials. I want them to know. I want them to see. I want them to see that this is what's going on. This is what the truth is. Um, it's gonna take work, but you know what? I'm resilient and I have wide shoulders and I'm ready to bear it. Like. And a lot of people are going to judge me and they're going to be mad at me. A lot of people are going to say that it's bullshit. And a lot of people are going to say that it's wrong. There's not truth behind it. And I really don't care because it's not about me. It's about everybody else. It's about the firefighters that don't have a voice. It's about the ones that are suffering in silent.
0: How, how has you facing, facing the reality that you do have PTSD and, and actually beginning to do the work on, on handling your trauma, how has that affected your
1: family oh man it was rough like you know i almost lost my marriage Mm
0: -hmm. my
1: child is on medication now he's put five holes in a wall he's ripped the door off the handles he's got depression he's got sleep issues um you know it's it's done a number on my family that's the truth that's a hard truth like hey my kid is on antidepressants my kid is punching holes in the wall my kid can't sleep why a lot of it is because of me leaving in 30 mm. for, for 35 days and feeling abandoned. That's my truth. That's my hard truth, you know, but it, it's who I am. It's part of me and it, it, it is what it is and I'll work through it. And so that's the thing right now that I'm struggling to work through the most is there are so many things that happen because of this, because I stood up and said like, Hey, I'm having a problem, but here's the deal if I wouldn't have done that, I would have just killed myself. Right. So like, if I wouldn't end up in the position that I was, if I, if I didn't go get the help, if I didn't just like finally throw in the towel and say, I can't do it anymore. I I just would have been another statistic. I would have been another number.
0: Yeah. Oh man. And that I like, thank you for being so brave to, to open your mouth. Like because yeah, i know that there's a law on on the line i mean it you showed that but you lost your job because you opened your mouth and and that's some, like that's so admirable like so many people can't can't do that so thank you because you opening your voice paves the pathway and gives permission for other people to to do the same thing which i know is the entire reason why you know you, you're doing everything that you're doing can you Absolutely. tell us a little bit about this book?
1: Yeah, so uh, that book has got my heart and soul in it. I went through that book twenty nine times front from cover to cover before I released it. Mm-hmm. i there's uh, some there's a story about um of a, a, a female firefighter in there. i I called and spoke to her and like got the story. I, I went back, I wrote it, I rewrote it, I called her and read it to her, and she was like, "Thank you for being a voice." That I couldn't be. I I wrote the book. I gave it to my wife. She hated it. I rewrote it. I rewrote it. I rewrote it. And I finally was like, okay, just let me go through this um, until until it's done, and then I'll give it to you. And she read it when it was the final product, and she was she was happy with it. Um, you know, because uh, I share her story in there. I share her trauma in there. She was molested by her father as a child, and that's something that was uh, huge for me because I hate that man. But uh, part of my journey was learning how to forgive him and move on with my life, because that was another piece of all my bitterness and anger. So I had all this other stuff on top of just the post-traumatic stress, like I had all these other things that were factors for sure. You know, the majority factor was the post-traumatic stress for sure. But there were other pieces of me that I really needed to fix so that I could step into the man that I need to be. Right. And, you know, The funny thing is, and the interesting thing is, I know what's going to come is a lot of people are going to say, well, there's no way you have post-traumatic stress. The way you speak, the way that you speak your mind, the way that you think, uh, the way that you do things is so much different. Yeah, I know because I'm different. I'm not like you. I'm not like everybody else. I'm very different. And I I have boundaries. And my boundary is that I'm not going back to the fire department because guess what's going to happen to me? I'm going to lose my sharpness. I'm going to lose my ability to process through it. And I'm going to end up in a bad spot. Because the reality is, is I still have bad days. I still have bad days for sure that are hard.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I like... I struggle, I, sh- I struggle too. Like people don't think that, yeah, because we talked about it earlier. You now I have a bubbly personality and I'm very happy and everything that you see on social media is gonna be like, woo, a certain type of way. The other day we had people over and someone turned on their flashlight and it gave me a complete like flashback. I had to run away into the room and like was having a whole situation just because someone turned on a flashlight and I thought they were shining it at me. <laughs> and like, you know, and so I really appreciate and value you stepping up and saying like, hey, look, this, I am showing up on podcasts. I am a Amazon bestselling author and, you know, I've gone through all of this and guess what? I still, I still have my days. I still have, you know, these times where, where I struggle. Did you ever, <laughs> did you ever think that you would write a book? <laughs>
1: No, not a chance. I mean, my wife. So there's something we have to go back to on, on a regular basis. So uh, when I was in a counseling session, when I was at the center of Maryland, I was in an EMDR session. And one of my reframes refra- was that I'm a pretty cool fucking guy. And I have to constantly go back to that. And I have to tell myself like, OK, I'm a pretty cool fucking guy because 18 year old me would have been looking up to me like that's a pretty cool fucking guy like that dude's pretty dope you know like i'm way fitter and leaner than i ever was as a young man i i have written a book you know i have a beautiful wife that i love i have an amazing house i have great cars like i have all these things that i would have never imagined that i could have um and i'm so grateful for them And I know that God is gonna bless me with so much more because I am gonna bless other people as much as possible. And one thing I'm learning is the more that you bless other people, the more you will be blessed. So stop thinking about yourself, stop worrying about yourself and start thinking about other people. And it's amazing how people will pour back into you. I mean, like if if I show up and I show you that, if I, I, like I talk about my book, if I show you that I hear you and I see you, and I provide a safe, envir- safe environment for you, you're going to want to be my friend and you're going to want to help me, right? Like, And that's just what I do. I just make a safe environment and I sit there and I see people and I hear them for who they are, right where they are, and I accept them. It's amazing how it, it's just given back to you, right? I don't make it about me. It's not about me. This book is not about me. I, you know, I carry around a phone with a, that phone number for the book is in the back of that book. You know what? I just got, um, just a couple of weeks ago, my first phone call to that, to that call, to that phone. And mm-hmm. I, I bought that phone with that phone number. And I said, the reason I'm buying this is because people are going to call. And I went weeks mm-hmm. with nobody calling that phone, but guess what? It's happened. And it's going to happen more, and it's going to happen more, and it's going to happen more. And I believe that at some point, I'm going to have to give that phone to somebody. Right there. There it is. 720-472-4400. Call me anytime. Like, And that's legit. That's who I am. I have a phone. I may not answer it, but I will either text message you back, or if you have something that's a dire need, I will get back to you, or someone will get back to you. It's just who I am as an individual. I'm not willing to compromise on that. I'm not willing to compromise on that.
0: Absolutely incredible, Nick. Wow, this conversation has just been so awesome. I've been seeing you online, and I've been seeing, you know, all of the posts about just talking about mental health, and that's really what what drew me to you. I had no idea the value and, and the stories that you would have to share. It's I I just I love I love hearing about people who have you know struggled because guess what? We are living a human experience and part of the human experience is pain. And every single one of us goes through pain in our different ways. Some of us it's it's different, but But what Nick is showing us is that even through some of the most horrendous pain, even through some of the most horrendous sights and things that he's had to deal with and things that he's had to see, he's showing us that you can still take that by the horns and use it for something good. He's using that pain, his struggle to help other people to help uplift other people and that's what you know that's what the becoming the big me podcast is all about that's what we are about we are about choosing to step into your greater potential each and every day and nick wingo you definitely exemplify that and and i really appreciate you for taking the time to 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 talk with us today can you just give everyone like what are you doing right now
1: yeah, so I am on a mission to get my book as in as many hands as possible. Uh, right now, I'm currently starting uh, 501c3. That 501c3 will be to cover the cost of firefighters deductibles. Uh, so that's where I'm going to get back. And my biggest goal right now is just to get my message out to as many people as I can so that I can get what I need to get. And that those, like I said, the big things are making sure that every state in the United States of America recognizes post-traumatic stress and- that no firefighter first responder pays for their mental health and that will happen um that will happen I I will make sure that that will happen
0: awesome I love that and how can how can people connect with you
1: uh yeah so uh we're actually in the process of getting a website up so that'll be buildinggrit.co um or nickwingo.com and then the uh, my instagram is at building underscore grit and then facebook is grit wins So I'm pretty easy to, pretty easy to find, or you can just call me (laughs) 720-472-4400.
0: Awesome. Yeah, and we're working on getting that website up so y'all can just type in his name into the Google bar and find him. But as always, you guys, I will leave all of the links in the description down below. So if you want to be lazy, don't worry. I already did the work for you. Go ahead and give Nick a follow. Um, he and share his message, man. Share this message, tag someone who needs to hear this message and let people know what's going on with our first responder and our firefighters, because this is so important. We need to support them. We need to show up for them. So let people know what's going on and support Nick as well. (laughs) Thank you guys. until next time, bye-bye.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate you.
0: Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode of the Becoming the Big Me podcast. I know that you found value in hearing this story today, and I would love if you could show your support by going and grabbing a copy of our book. And you can do so by going to bit.ly slash greatconquest. You can also go to www.thegreatconquest.com for more information about each of the individuals involved in this process. Thanks again for tuning in.